0: father, I want to thank you for the truths that we've sung this morning. That There have been powerful points of gospel truth declared already. And I'm asking you to stir our hearts to believe it. God calls our hearts to believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And Father, I pray that one of the ways that we would see that we're believing gospel truth is that we're beginning more and more to live like we believe gospel truth. So God, transform us by the power of your spirit and connection with the truth of your word. And Father, we know we're not the only believers in this community or around this world. And we pray for all of our gospel partners in Merritt Island, Brevard County, Florida, United States, and the ends of the earth. I pray right now for Chip and Lori. God, would you stir our hearts even now as a fellowship to pray for them? Father, would you, would you cause us to think about the fact that they, along with their family and thousands of other people like them, willfully left the affluence of this country Traded in careers where they could make significantly more money and be safe and comfortable and enjoy the, the pleasures of this world. They gladly traded that so they could take the gospel of Jesus to the ends of this earth. Help us to remember that, Lord. And I pray for them right now. God, I pray you would encourage Chip pray that Lori would know your favor and your grace. God, as they raise their family in a hard place, Lord, as they live with the danger of their life, at times hanging in the balance, Lord, I pray that they would see so clearly Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. God, I ask you to encourage them, keep them safe. Lord, I pray that you'd give them miraculous opportunities to share Jesus today And Lord, I pray that they would be so satisfied in Christ that their joy would be full and that the Spirit's power would flow in and through them. Lord, we love you and we praise you for Chip and Lori and for all those that are like them among the people of the earth. God, we look forward to heaven when we'll hear the stories of how you answered our prayers and the faithfulness of your grace to the glory of your gospel. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you have children first through fourth grade, Would you go ahead and dismiss them now to kids' worship, first through fourth grade? If you have not already checked your kids' in to kids' worship, go ahead and follow them over there so you can sign them in on the first or second floor. Uh, That's where we dismiss to kids' worship. Okay, so take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter 4. A little bit of a change in the programming from what Pastor Fai announced. Next week we're going to start a two-week series uh, surrounding Easter and Passion Week. We're going to actually look at Mark chapter 14. I'm going to share with you something that God was stirring in me uh, as I was reading through Mark months ago devotionally. Just a couple of things that I saw there that were an encouragement to me. So we'll look at Mark chapter 14 next week leading into Palm Sunday and Easter. But this morning what we're going to do is look at Philippians chapter four. And for those of you who are new around here, uh, something you need to know about how we study the Bible Our regular pattern for teaching and and preaching the Bible is to mainly go verse by verse, uh, paragraph by paragraph through entire books of the Bible. As a matter of fact, I was looking back this last week. Over the last seven years or so, we've been able to study the entire books of 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, James, the entire book of Revelation, the entire book of Joshua, the entire Sermon on the Mount. And last August, we actually began a study on the book of Philippians. And that's where we'll be this morning. Um, and I've got to tell you, I, I know that we're not supposed to play favorites, but this has been probably one of, one of my favorite, one of the top two or three series of, of sermons that we've been able to study in, and largely because I just need it so much. I have needed the message of the book of Philippians so much. This call to constant joy This encouragement that he who began a good work in you, guess what? He's not gonna let that go unfinished. He's gonna complete the job he started in your life to the glory of his name and the good of you and and everyone around you. I've just needed these points of encouragement so much. So many great lessons. And so it's with some excitement, but also I gotta tell you with a little bit of sadness, a little melancholy this morning, that we're actually gonna finish our study of the book of Philippians. So this will be the last sermon that we look at in this series on Philippians, living with joy in the... the mission and message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This will be our last week, and so let's look at this last passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Paul writes and says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God... Will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. this is the word of God for us this morning. Now, as I was preparing this, this was the point in the sermon where I think most pastors throw in that corny joke about how uncomfortable we all are talking about money in a gathering like this. But I'm not gonna do that this morning, even though I am the master of corny jokes. I'm not gonna do that this morning because I've gotta tell you, um, I don't feel uncomfortable at all talking about the passage of scripture that we're talking about. As a matter of fact, I am so excited because in this passage, Paul is giving us significant reasons why we should be deeply encouraged, why we should actually be deeply excited about giving financially to the work of Jesus Christ through the mission of his local church. So there's all kinds of encouragement in this passage. For instance, I hope that you notice that one of the most well-known promises in the entire Bible, one of the most powerful words from God over your life in the entire scripture is found there in verse 19. And my God will supply how many needs? All your needs. Every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's a good word in the church. That's a reason to be excited. That great promise is right here in the context of of financially giving through a local church community, and so we're going to get to that promise in just a few minutes. But first, I just want to make sure we understand the greater context. Since we weren't in Philippians last week, I want us to just go back a couple of weeks ago and, and remember. Uh, if you were here, you heard Pastor Fayez do an outstanding job of preaching verses ten through thirteen. And in verses ten through thirteen, there's another really well-known promise of Scripture: Philippians four thirteen. I can do all. All things through him who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you guys have seen that written maybe on a uh, sports athlete's shoes or underneath his eyes? We've seen that. But if you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard that verse actually in its context. Paul isn't promising, shocker of all shockers, that Jesus is going to help everyone learn how to dunk a basketball or score a touchdown or close a major deal at work, right? That's not what he's saying there. Paul is teaching that Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's just enough for everything you need to keep you content in every single circumstance of your life. What Paul is saying in those verses right before our text this morning is this No matter what is happening all around me, Jesus is more than enough for me. I am completely content because of Jesus. That's what he's saying there. Jesus is more than enough. Now listen, in light of that context, remember why Paul is actually writing this letter to the Philippians. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome, right? So he's in prison in Rome, not the funnest place to be on earth. He's in a Roman prison suffering for the sake of the gospel and he's responding to the fact these Philippian Christians had sent him a financial gift so that he could get some extra food at the commissary of the prison so that he could have his needs met there while he was in prison in Rome. So they send this gift through a man named Epaphroditus. You saw that there in verse 18. You also heard him reference that in chapter two, verse 25. And it's almost like as he's responding to their generous giving to him, he wants to make sure they're not confused by what they just heard him say. When he was talking in verse 10 through 13 about always being content and Jesus being enough, you can actually sort of imagine, I was thinking about it this way, someone who, who might respond as they have sacrificially given their money they've taken money they could have used for their kids or for their home or, or for their retirement or whatever else they gave that money sacrificially and sent it on to Paul and then they received this letter where Paul's saying something to the effect I don't need a thing I've got Jesus he's all I need you guys get that here they're receiving this, this letter back where they've sacrificially given and he's saying, I- I've got Jesus. He's enough. I don't need a thing, but I'm going to keep the money, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm going to keep the cash. I didn't return it with the letter. The people who scraped and saved. To send money to that guy might sit there and think, hey, bro, if you are perfectly content and can do all things through Jesus, why did I give up cable TV to send you some cash, dude? Right? And so our text is sort of like a preemptive strike on that kind of thinking. And Paul is giving these people a, a deep word of encouragement people who are already sacrificially and generously given to the kingdom work of Jesus. He's saying, listen, some of you may feel discouraged in your giving. Some may be feel cynical about your giving. Some of you may not even be participating and you're sort of on the margin of giving through a local church. And I wanna give you some reasons why you should be excited to engage in generous giving. And so this morning, I wanna show you four truths about biblical giving that should stir up joy and encouragement in your lives. Four truths about biblical giving that should stir up joy and encouragement in your lives. But before I share these truths with you, I just wanna point one thing out. I want you to notice that when Paul is teaching about financially giving to the mission of Christ, he's, he's speaking in the context of the local church. Look at verse 15. He says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. Did you hear that? No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. I love that partnership. You do the giving, I'll do the receiving, right? No church entered into partnership in giving and receiving except you only. Do you notice that? When Paul's referring to biblical generous giving to the mission of Christ he's assuming he's implying explicitly he's stating that it's through the community of the local church he's saying listen as you guys give you give together as a church As you serve the kingdom of God, you serve together as a church. And the reason I bring that up is I want you to know it's normative in the Bible that our giving as followers of Jesus should flow through our local church community. You don't look in the scripture and find some scattered a la carte approach to charitable giving. What you find is deeply coordinated effort by groups of believers like this who come together and are committed to living for the cause of Jesus, which means together they're committed to giving for the cause of Jesus. Now listen, I know there are a lot of really good causes in the world today. As a matter of fact, I know there are a lot of great uh, parachurch ministries that exist in this community and around the world. And I don't, I don't discourage you from giving to parachurch organization or good causes. I believe God stirs us to generosity all around our world. But you need to hear something. God has chosen to work primarily through the local church. As his way of reaching the nations for the gospel of Jesus. And I don't say that because I'm the pastor of a local church. I say that because the Bible teaches that's true. Let me give you a couple passages of scripture. You guys can kind of look at them uh, on your own time. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 5, when the Bible's teaching about husbands and wives as a a picture of Christ in the church, Ephesians 5 says this that Jesus. Loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That Jesus actively loves and nourishes and cherishes the church. As a matter of fact, Matthew 16, 18 is another passage of scripture where when Jesus tells his followers what it is that he's gonna be doing among the people of the earth, where he's pouring his authority and power out on the world today, he says that the movement he's going to begin and build and protect and care for it, that movement is the local church he says you're Peter and and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and you'll find throughout the entire New Testament that Christian Christ-centered biblical giving happens in the context of a local church community And that includes the way we give to the mission of Christ among the nations. So listen, I am not saying that it's wrong to support other groups and Christian organizations. I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. We cannot afford to neglect the church of Jesus Christ or to give our lives and our money to the kingdom of heaven through Christ's work among a local church one of the reasons why we believe so strongly in local church commitment that we're a covenant community of believers who are serving Jesus with one another and that includes every area of our life so with all of that said let's look at these four encouraging truths about biblical giving let's look at the first one here's the first one biblical giving is an opportunity for gospel partnership Did you hear that biblical giving is an opportunity for gospel partnership look at verse 15 again And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul says, listen, your financial gift is a form of partnership. And the reason why I call it gospel partnership is because that's what Paul calls it in chapter one, verses three through five. Listen to chapter one, verse three through five. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's the deal. Paul is very clear that giving is a form of partnership in the gospel. In this case, here's what's happening. Paul is able to go throughout the rest of the world in places that these Philippians will never be able to go themselves, but they're able to send the gospel to those parts of the world because they're partnering financially with Paul in his ministry. Now, listen, that didn't release them from their own personal area of ministry and responsibility. Here's what it did it didn't release them from their areas of responsibility and personal ministry. What it did was it expanded their influence of personal ministry. Let me give you a couple of examples. Some of you in this room are clearly called to serve children's ministry through this local church. God stirred your heart. He's gifted your life to serve and commit your regular effort, your your regular schedule of service to the children of this community through children's ministry. So that's an area of personal responsibility that God's called you in your service. But when you give Generously through this local church, you don't let go of that personal responsibility, you expand your area of personal influence. So when you give, you become a partner with Merritt Island Christian School, a ministry of this church. You become a partner with House of Hope, a ministry of this church. You become a partner with English as Second Language. You become a partner with our Alternative Pregnancy Center. You become a partner with student ministry, with senior adult ministry, with Sunday school and small group ministry. When you give through this local church, you expand your influence in this community and around the world with the people you're partnering alongside who are able to do things that you're not able to do. Do you guys get that? Yes. Biblical giving is an opportunity for gospel partnership. Let me share how this really hit home in my life. About 20 years ago, um, I was a young college student. I was on my first real mission abroad. I went to the Philippines and as a, as a single young man, dropping into the Philippines. I really didn't know what to expect. And so we, we landed in Manila, which is one of the largest cities in the entire world. About 20 million people live in Manila. And, and so we landed in Manila. We got to our hotel room. We had a long time traveling uh, from the States. And so once we settled into our hotel room, we went out to get a bite to eat there in the city of Manila. Well, We went to the restaurant, we started to make our way back and something that I didn't know about Manila is that there's a massive population of orphans In the city of Manila, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of orphaned little boys and girls who live in the streets of Manila. That they sort of sometimes come together and form these communities of individuals, of, of orphans, four, five, six year olds just living on the streets. Some of them actually live in the city dump. And you drive by the city dump and you see these little children climbing up mountains of garbage, scrounging for food. Most of them just spend their day begging on the street. And when it gets dark, wherever they are, because they don't have a home... They just lay down on the sidewalk and fall asleep at night. So I didn't know that. And I'm, I'm, I've just finished a good meal in a local restaurant. Walking back, it's getting dark. I'm walking back to the hotel room. And I find myself having to step over little boys and girls who are asleep on the sidewalk. And it wrecked me. It just wrecked me. It still wrecks me to so think about the reality of that need. And what, what made it an even more difficult thing for me was as I began to wrestle, what I was wrestling through was, God, how can this be? And not just how can this be, what can I do? What can I do? I'm like 19 years old, a single college kid on a mission trip, and I'm having to step over dozens of little children who have just lived their entire lives to this point on the street. Like, it's not okay. I can't do this. What can I possibly do? And then I start thinking in terms of hundreds of thousands of children in that city. Millions, millions of children around this world. What can I do? And the most I could ever do personally, just by myself, was, was the tip Of the iceberg in comparison to the global need of orphans in this world, to feeding and housing millions of orphans in this world. And and in the midst of that, I began to really pray God, what would you call me to do? What would you call me to do? Are you stirring my heart to go to Manila as a missionary? Like I had to be willing to say, God, are you calling me to this? Is this my life? And I couldn't get away from the fact that I felt deeply that Christ was calling me to serve as a pastor in my own country. I couldn't shake the call of God of that. And so here I'm wrestling, God, what do I do? What do I do? And that's when God clearly taught me that I really could partner with people who he had called to care for international orphans through my generous giving that I really could be a part of caring beyond my own personal capacity, even if I went to Manila and lived my entire life there as as an individual caring for orphans, I could expand my influence beyond my own personal life because I could partner with other people that Jesus was calling to that specific area of ministry. People all around the world who aren't just feeding and housing orphans, they're doing it in the name of Jesus to teach those boys and girls the gospel of Christ. And in that moment, the the conversation about generous giving changed in my heart. Because it wasn't a guilt trip by some guy who was trying to line his pockets and call it gospel. It was the stirring of God so I could see that something as small as generously giving money could actually be a form of eternally significant partnership among the people of this earth. And it became a a stirring in me to give more and more and more to the global mission of Jesus Christ through my local church because it was my opportunity to expand the influence of my own life through the grace of Jesus for the glory of God among the people of this earth. And what Paul is telling us here and what we have to remember is that this is not just about money. This is about the souls of people and the influence of our lives. And biblical giving allows you the opportunity to expand expand your influence by his grace and for his glory to the global mission of Jesus among the nations. It was awesome, awesome spending time with our missionaries this last week. And what was incredible was to hear their stories about how God is using them and to think that in those ways, he's allowing you, the people in this room, us as a fellowship to advance the gospel to the nations you see represented by these flags through something as simple and honestly, relatively easy as generous giving of our money. Biblical giving is an opportunity for gospel partnership. Let me get on to the, to the next one. Second thing, biblical giving is an opportunity to invest in eternity. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift. He says, no matter how it may seem, I'm not coming after your money. My main, my main motive is not to get all I can get from you. He says, not that I seek the gift. He says, here's what I seek. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now that word credit is is an interesting word. Sometimes it's translated account. And I think what it's referring to largely is the fact that we will give an account in eternity for everything we did in life on this earth. We're gonna stand before God and every thought, word, and deed will be tried in the eyes of a holy and all-knowing God. And he will determine how the things we had and did were used for eternally significant ends. How we used our thoughts, how we used our words, how we used our deeds for eternally significant things. And that includes our giving. And and we're gonna see in just a minute, of course, all of this comes as a result of his grace for his glory. But God has done a, an amazing thing in that he's motivated our hearts to engage by faith in his work by rewarding us for our engagement. Now there's a lot that I don't necessarily understand about this other than the fact that the Bible teaches that when we faithfully come before God and align our lives with his mission and his purpose, he rewards us for that. There's great reward for those who will, who will follow after Jesus in his global mission. And, and one reward will come when we stand before God at the end of our day and we see whether or not we invested our lives into eternally significant things in the world that's to come. So just think about that moment for me. Think about that moment. Think about standing in the presence of almighty God and think about giving an account of your entire life just imagine having to account for every dollar that you've ever spent, just like we'll have to account for every word that we've ever said, every motive of our heart. How do you want that day to go? Listen, I know we are gonna boast in Jesus and our only hope is to say Jesus has done this. My only hope is Christ. I know that we'll say that, but the Bible is very clear that as stewards of all that God has entrusted to our care, we will account for all of it and we will actually be rewarded for everything we did by God's grace and for his glory and our good. And the question remains, how do you want that day to go? Here's, Here's another question. How's your account shaping up? If you think about money as an investment, which it is, how does your eternal 401k compare to your earthly one? How does your generosity extending beyond this life and this world compare to the hoarding culture in which we all live that heaps upon ourselves? I am not saying, listen to me clearly, I am not saying that having a nice home or a nice car or a family vacation is a bad or evil thing I'm not saying that at all at all am I saying that having a a home and a car and a family vacation is bad am I saying that I'm not saying that at all Okay, I'm not saying that at all. My family and I just spent the week in Charleston visiting Emily's family. We, we were gone. We, we went on a trip. We drove a car on it. It didn't break down because it's reliable. It, we have those things. I'm not saying it's evil. Here's what I'm saying. Am I saying that's evil? No, here's what I'm saying. What a waste all of that would be if we hoarded into our own lives luxury cars and fine homes And never invested in eternally significant things. That's what I'm saying. What a waste it would be if all that money slipped through our fingers and were spent on things that would burn one day and no longer exist in eternity. What a waste! What an absolute waste it would be if we had all of the resources poured through our lives and none of them were stored in our eternal account for the glory of God and the good uh, of his people. What a waste it would be. Biblical giving is an opportunity for eternal investment. Number three, biblical giving is an opportunity to worship. Look at verse 18. He says, I have full payment and more I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus, and you thought Titus was a weird name, Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing. Look at those next two words. To God. See that there? Paul received the financial generosity of this church, but he says your gifts weren't to me really. The offering was not acceptable and pleasing to me. It was an offering that was acceptable and pleasing to God. And here's what Paul's revealing for us that's essential for us to understand. Giving isn't to man. Giving isn't to church. Giving is to Jesus. Giving is to God. That's one of the reasons why I say that we give through our church, not just to our church. Our giving is to God. And so that means our giving is an act of worship. Guys, there's a reason why we include our giving in the midst of our gathering. Because it's a form of worship, just like singing and learning the Bible are acts and expressions of worship. Giving is an expression of worship as well. The word worship actually comes from the root word worth. And what worth is, is the value that we hold on something. So worship is the expression of God's worth in our eyes. Worship is the expression of God's worth in our eyes. And when we give, what we're saying is God is worth it. We're saying the mission of the gospel is worth it. The salvation of souls of people is worth it. We're saying we value God more than the money that we give. So giving is an act of worship. Emily and I give uh, by having our money automatically withdrawn from our bank account, from our our, our paycheck. And and so we don't normally have the the envelope to place in the offering plate uh, because it's automatically taken from our account because we've predetermined what we feel like God has called us to give during the seasons of our. A year. That doesn't mean that it's no longer an act of worship. When we have that time of giving, it is an awesome moment for us to reflect over how God has enabled us, how he's blessed us so much and he's enabled us to join with his people and give as an expression of his worth. And in those moments when that offering plate's going around and we're beginning to sing that song, we're able to reflect back over God's kindness and his grace. I'm able to look back and say, God, you've met all of my needs. You've cared so abundantly. You've touched so many of my wants and not just my needs. And God, you're, you're expanding your kingdom you're glorifying your name there are people like chip and Lori who are on the other side of this world making the gospel known and you're using what we've given as part of that god you are incredible you are awesome and we're we're sharing in those moments god you are worth it Every last dime, every last dollar. God, you are worth it. You're worth so much more than that. Last next week we were actually going to be talking about the worth of Jesus, that he's just better. He's just better than fill in the blank. He's worth whatever you guys would have to look at and say, I'm going to exchange. I'm going to trade this for the glory of Jesus. Jesus is worth it. But here's, here's a question that challenges me concerning giving. And here's the question. What does my giving say about how valuable I think Jesus is? right so let me give you just an illustration um many of us in this room including my family we value family time together like we love family time together we work really hard to guard our time together as a family one of the things that we did a couple years ago is we took all of our uh, the the christmas giving that all of our family would do and we asked them um, our parents grandparents to pull all of that money so that we could purchase uh tickets to a water park, annual passes to a water park in Orlando, because what we wanted for Christmas was to spend more time together as a family throughout the year. And listen, those passes, they're not cheap and and they're not always uh, totally convenient, but they are a lot of fun. And here's the deal. If someone had taken a look at our expenses as a family for that year, they would have been able to see a line item that included the fact that not only did we have an initial purchase of those passes, we had the days that we drove over there and spent that gas and that god-awful amount of money on tolls, I don't know what that's all about, but we had all that money on our way, and we, we took that time that we could have been doing other things, and we had that reflected because we value time as a family, right? So you can look at my finances, you can look at my schedule, you can look at those things and say, that's a dude, he may not do it right, but he and his wife, they value time as a family. Here's that question, what about God? Like if someone looked at our finances, if someone looked at our lives, would they conclude, I value God by the way we spend what we've been given? Time, talent, treasure. Biblical giving is not about money, not first and foremost. Biblical giving is an expression of the worth of God in our hearts. So what we need is God to do more than bump our bank accounts. We need him to stir extravagant love for Jesus in our hearts. Giving is an act of worship. Number four, here's the last thing and then we'll be done. Number four, biblical giving is an opportunity to trust God. Look at verse 19. Finally, we're to this great promise. My God, Will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why does God get the glory? Because God does the work. And the work that God does is supplies every single need. How many of your needs is God willing to supply? All of them every last one, he's willing to supply all of your needs. Would you just let that wash over you for a second? Do you ever feel needy? Okay, hold on, how about, do you know someone who feels needy? Okay, there, let's get the easy one out of the way. Do you ever feel like you have a need? Yeah, are you kidding me? Are you alive? Yes, you feel like you have a need. Listen to what God has to say. I will supply every one of your needs according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How rich is Jesus? Pretty rich, right? He literally owns everything. And God has promised to supply every need of yours according to the amount that Jesus has. Not what you have, that's pathetic. What Jesus has, right? Well, I listen, I hold on. I knew, I knew I could make it through. I literally wrote on every page, slow down, calm down. And it just, I just couldn't help it. Seriously. Here's the deal. I want you to clearly see what the Bible is saying. God is promising to supply every single need. Right? Somebody said need out there, Right? hold on, hold on, don't get ahead of me. Let me preach this one. It's not your turn. But you're right, bro. I had a pastor friend once who said this is a promise with a premise, right? Where's the context of this? The context of this is in the midst of giving promise. He says, those of you who generously give to the kingdom of God, those of you who align your lives with the global mission of Jesus, those of you who, uh, this is another pastor who said, those of you who get under the spout where the blessing comes out, those of you who are a part of what God is doing in the world today, those of you who are engaging by faith in the grace of God for his glory, those of you who are in alignment with Jesus' work among the nations, have this word over your life. God will supply every single need you have. There's a premise to the promise that we're engaged in the work of Jesus Christ. And where was Paul when he made this statement in the power of the Holy Spirit? He was in prison. Jesus will supply all of your needs even in prison. God didn't supply, he didn't supply a parole or a fast getaway chariot, he didn't supply with a pardon from Caesar, he supplied it, supplied it, it's a really emphatic statement in the past tense, supplied it, he supplied what Paul needed, and here's what you need to know, sometimes we need to learn how to do without luxuries, sometimes we need to learn there are consequences to our actions. Sometimes we need to learn, and here's an important truth. I need to preach a whole sermon on this one day. Foolish financial decisions make life harder. Do you guys know that? Some of us need to learn that, right? And you know what? God will supply that need, The need to learn. God will supply those needs and he will supply all of your other needs as well. Food, shelter, clothing, physical needs, relational needs, spiritual needs. God will supply according to his riches in Jesus. But there's a premise to the promise. You know what the premise is? You have to trust him. This is an opportunity. Biblical giving is an opportunity to trust God. You have to trust. God will do what he's promising to do here or you will never get serious about generous giving in your life. It all boils down to whether or not we believe God. Not our ability to stretch a dollar. Not our ability to form the best budget. Our ability to trust God. I read about a guy who was struggling with that concept of giving a portion of his income Uh, he was struggling with tithing and I've just got to tell you by the way since we're talking about giving um, I am not a guy who believes that we're bound by the strict law of 10% giving I just want you to know that I don't believe we're bound by the strict law of 10% giving because I believe grace frees us from the rigid laws uh, of, of the old covenant by hold on some of you get nervous by empowering us to an even more extravagant life than the law could ever supply. That's why I think that grace giving actually allows us to go beyond 10%. I think if anything, 10% is just the starting place, not the finish line of generous giving. Anyhow, back to the guy who was struggling with 10%, okay? He told his pastor he didn't see how he could actually do it and keep up with all of his bills. And here's how the pastor applied. If I promise, if I promise to make up the difference of your bills, should you fall short this month, do you think you'd consider tithing for just one month? Not that I'm saying that. The guy in the story said that. I know some of you guys are, I can't wait for the emails to start flowing in. You've already got your PayPal account set up. Here you go, Titus. All right. Here's here's what the man said after, after thinking about it. He replied, sure. If you will promise to make up any shortage, I guess I could try it for a month. And the pastor responded this way. Now, what do you think about that? You say you'd be willing to put your trust in a mere man like myself who possesses so little materially, but you couldn't trust your heavenly father who owns the whole universe. It boils down to trust, right? It's a matter of faith. Do I believe God and all of his promises? I've got to tell you just as a word of personal testimony. There are few things in my life that have done more to build my faith in the faithfulness of God like sacrificial, generous giving. And I've shared many of those stories with you throughout the years that I've pastored in this church. But Emily and I have seen God's faithfulness in our lives when we took steps of faith and obedience. One of the things that we have done in our marriage is prayed earnestly, God, what are you calling us to give? Not not Checking off the box, 10%, and we're going to put it in this category. God, what are you calling us to give above and beyond, above and beyond what would seem reasonable or easy for us? And as God has called us and stirred us toward those types of decisions. The, the, uh, the affirmation of the number of times where Emily and I have prayed separately from one another and come back together, and both of us have the exact same dollar amount that God has placed on our hearts as affirmation of his work in our lives. Now, I've told you the story once when we were first starting out in ministry. She and I prayed about how much beyond our base giving that we would be giving every month to the mission calls of Christ we had these kind of commitment cards and we were praying a faith promise offering. God, by faith, what would you promise to give? Should we give to and through your mission? And we began to pray. Both of us came back together, had this exact same amount. Here's the problem we didn't have enough money to give that amount. And so here's what we said God, if you give us that money, we'll give that money. We can't give what we don't have, but you have that money. God, if you give that money, we'll give that money. If you don't give that money, guess what? we won't give that money. It's called faith in the promise of God. And the very next week after we prayed that and came together and said, God, we'll do this. If you give, we'll give this. If you give, we'll give this. A lady came up to us at church and said, I just want you to know, this week God stirred my heart and I feel like he wants me to give you a certain amount of money every single month. And it was the exact same amount that God had laid on our hearts, right? What do you think that did? It made me think I can trust God. Made me think, you know what? I think there's something to this. God is real. He's at work in my life. And he used something as, as simple as money to do it. Here's the deal, guys. Biblical giving comes down to trusting God. And do I believe that God supplies my need or do I believe money does? Do I believe God supplies my every need or do I believe that my ability to stretch the dollar does? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And because he does it, he gets the glory. We left praising God, not that woman. And we've looked back every year as we receive that annual kind of uh, summary of giving and we look back and we praise God for how he's allowed us to give. And it's a glory to God because he's the one who gave it in the first place. So here's the question, two points of application and it will be done for this morning. First of all, are you trusting in Jesus? It really comes down beyond money, more than money. Are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You know, the Bible says that giving is wrapped into the heart of Christianity because God so loved the world that he gave his only son who would be the one who would die in our place for our sins and be raised again to make us right with God. Are you trusting in Jesus and God's generous grace into your life? Because of Christ. Some of us struggle with all of these concepts, and what we're really struggling with is do we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do? Am I trusting Jesus? If you're not trusting in Christ this morning, I want to encourage you don't leave this place without calling on Jesus, the one who lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you should have died and was raised again as the display of his power and glory. Would you trust in Jesus? And for the rest of you who say, Yeah, I'm trusting in Jesus, then I want to ask you this are you really trusting in Jesus? Like really, like like where the the rubber meets the road, are you trusting Jesus for the needs of this week? Trusting Jesus with your financial future? Are you trusting Jesus in a way that says, I believe he'll meet all of my needs and I can't afford not to trust him with everything including his money because I don't own a thing, Jesus does and he'll supply my every need. I want to ask you to just bow your heads and spend a moment in prayer. Before we rush out into our lives, we're going to sing a song in just a moment, just a song of closing praise. And after that, our pastors are going to be down front and we would love to talk with you about your relationship with Christ, maybe about being baptized as an expression of your faith in Jesus. Some of you might want to talk about other things going on in your life. Our pastors would love to pray with you. We'll do that after the close. Of our service. Right now, I want you to just consider personally, privately, how's God calling you to apply this truth into your life? Are you trusting in Jesus to save you from the penalty and power of your sin? I encourage you to call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. For those of you who are following after Christ in faith, would you ask the Holy Spirit to show whether or not you're really trusting Him with every part, including your finances? Would you ask Him to press into your heart what He's calling you to give to His mission through His church? And by faith, would you step out on that? Father, I want to praise you for your glorious grace to us. You are so abundant. And I pray, Lord, for all of the people in this room who generously and sacrificially give because they believe every word that we've seen in this passage. I'm asking you, Lord, to encourage their hearts. Would you stir them up to see it is a beautiful thing that you're doing in them. Lord, I wanna thank you for the widow sitting in this room, living on a fixed income, who gives every single month, faithfully and sacrificially, because she believes this is true. God, would you meet her need and would you glorify your name in her and fill her heart with joy? pray for the young adults just starting out who, who would think i can't afford to give pray it stir them to see they can't afford not to because it's a front row seat to see your power experience your your grace God, i pray it stir us to love you more than any other thing to glorify you in our giving to be satisfied in your giving. Because the point of it is that you don't need us. You don't need our money. We need you. And I pray that be deep in our hearts. And we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.